The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, and we're reading verse 1 to 7. So if you have your Bible, open it up. If you have the Bible app on your phone, there's a couple buttons in it there. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him up. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, and without faith it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. This is the word of the Lord. Morning. Nice to see everyone this morning. Nice to have people following us online. Let's just start with a word of prayer. Thank you, Father, um, for this morning. Thank you that you've given us life and breath this morning, Lord, that shows us that you are faithful, that you um, preserve our lives, Lord. And thank you for this word this morning. Thank you that through your word you help us to know you Father, you help us to know Jesus. You help us to be faithful and obedient. So help us through your word this morning, Lord Jesus, to know how to be more faithful and obedient to you and trust you more because you are trustworthy. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. The title of this sermon is Persevering in Faith. And in this passage, we'll be exploring the idea of what true biblical faith looks like and how it applies to our lives today in relation to what's been said so far in the book of Hebrews. So if you listen to some of the sermons on the book of Hebrews in the past several months given at this church, you'll know by now that it was written to Jewish Christians who were likely experiencing persecution for their belief in Christ. They were being tempted to turn back to Judaism with its comforting traditions, familiarity, and safety. The author of Hebrews resolved in the first 10 chapters of Hebrews to elevate Jesus as superior to everything and everybody that the readers would have ever known or read about in their past lives in Judaism. He was the one through whom the universe was created, the rescuer who the Old Testament scriptures pointed to, the great high priest, the perfect sacrifice, the one who offers total forgiveness and total rest, the Son of God, 
God himself in human form. The author is essentially saying, Jesus is better. Trust him. Stand firm in your faith in him. Don't turn back or the consequences will be deadly. The old ways that you were used to were just a shadow of Jesus, but Jesus is the real thing. All the scriptures point to him, the one who came to save you and I. Hebrews is the good news of the gospel for suffering sinners. So here we come to chapter 11, and we're starting to get into some final exhortations and encouragements and applications. This chapter is sometimes called the Hall of Faith because the author lists off many people from the Old Testament who had great faith and also what they did because of their trust in God. The readers would have been familiar with the accounts of these people and what they did. But to just leave it at that, a nice collection of stories of wonderful people doing wonderful things misses the point of the book of Hebrews and misses the point of the gospel itself. First of all, we know that each of these Old Testament men and women were not perfect as only Jesus was. We have accounts in the Old Testament of some of the horrible things they did. So we can throw out the conclusion that the great Old Testament heroes and heroines were our ultimate models of godly behavior, though we can learn a lot from their stories. Secondly, we know from the pattern of Hebrews that the author must have some particular reason for going down this route of looking back at people from the Old Testament that connects the readers to the fact that Jesus is better. So before we get to chapter 11, let's look at the last verse of chapter 10, which David touched on last week. It goes like this. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. We see the author encouraging the readers to persevere in faith. But what does this faith look like? We use, we use the word a lot. Sometimes we say things like, I have faith that this company is going to hire me, or she has great faith that her, that her team is going to win the title this year, or things like that. Or in the church, we often say things like, just have faith, or that person has great faith, when referring to faith in Christ. We may even pray things like, Lord, increase my faith. But do we really know what biblical faith is and what it looks like? Well, the author of Hebrews doesn't hang us out to dry. He or she seeks in the first verse of chapter 11 to describe what biblical faith is as clearly as possible when talking about the kind of faith that sees a soul reserved to eternal life. And interestingly, the application of his or her description of faith may not be what we've always thought it to be. Verse 1 goes like this. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. We may look at these two words, assurance and conviction, and think that faith is primarily a heartfelt, vague trust that people must be able to drum up a great, a great amount of to properly believe in Jesus. It's true that biblical faith is daily trust in Jesus with assurance and conviction, but it's more tangible 
and applicable than just the strong emotion or thought. Surprise, surprise, there are words in the ancient Greek that explained concepts better than we can with our vocabulary of English words. The original Greek word in place of assurance was hypostasis, translated as substance or reality in some versions of the Bible. And the Greek word for conviction was elenkos, translated as evidence or proof in some versions. What's meant by these Greek words and alternate English words helps us understand what the author is trying to get across about faith in this passage and will help us to apply this passage to ourselves and to the church. The words substance and evidence or reality and proof speak to the tangibility of true faith. This is something that you can see, hear, and experience. One who has this kind of faith ultimately shows it by their behavior. Their faith becomes a reality in what they do, and people can see it in their daily lives. The whole of chapter 11 is about the behavior of people who had great faith, not just about how strong their belief in God was. As James said in his letter in the New Testament, faith without works is dead. These Old Testament men and women showed their faith by their works, by their actions. Their faith in God was brought to reality. To be sure, God is and always has been unseen, above us, beyond us, holy and pure, and his promises are unseen as they are future things. But people around these Old Testament men and women would have been able to see the reality of God and his ways in them and through them. For a bit of an illustration from daily life, let's take the example of caring for our bodies. If someone believes strongly in taking care of their body so they can live a physically, mentally, emotionally healthy life, the people around them will be able to see it in what they do. They will probably eat well, exercise, get good sleep. Those around them will see this behavior and understand that this person believes strongly that they will benefit from how they take care of their bodies, even if the benefits may be long-term and sometimes hard to see. Otherwise, why would they do it? Those looking on might even start to understand for themselves the importance of living healthily. If someone didn't exercise, eat well, and get good sleep, you'd know that caring for their body wasn't high on their priorities list. Their belief or conviction in the benefits they would reap would be very low. So now that we're starting to get this picture of faith in our minds, let's explore what faith looks like in the rest of the passage. Verse 2, for by it, talking about faith, the people of the old the people of old received their commendation. Again, chapter 11 is about Old Testament folks, those who lived before Jesus came to earth. What did these people put their trust in, and what did their faith look like? On a very fundamental level, they had faith in God. They walked with God, and they knew him. They knew his character. They knew his ways. They knew he was worth putting their faith in. Ultimately, they looked ahead to Jesus 
the exact representation of God and his merciful, gracious, and loving ways. This was all evidenced by their behavior. Ultimately, this faith enabled them to please God and receive his commendation. Moving on to verse 3, it's kind of a prelude that starts at the very beginning of creation. It references the fact that it takes faith to trust that God just spoke and created the universe out of nothing. That is a powerful God, one who is the creator of all things simply by speaking. We would benefit greatly by often meditating on and thinking about the greatness of God and meditating, meditating on his word, what he says in the scriptures. That would certainly give us a much more accurate perspective of our own lives in relation to him. So let's, let's move on to our, our first of three Old Testament people, Abel. Abel and his brother Cain were the first offspring of the first humans, Adam and Eve. What did the faith of Abel look like? Abel offered his offering by faith, and he and his offering were accepted by God in a way that Cain and his offering weren't, as we can see from the story in Genesis. God was pleased with Abel and commended him. Abel's offering might have been acceptable because he offered the firstborn of his flock, or it could be that it was a sign he understood that in order to come before a holy God, a blood sacrifice was needed to cover sin, which has been made clear throughout the book of Hebrews. Ultimately, his offering was offered in faith. It seemed that Abel knew God, and his heart was soft towards God. He knew God was worth it, so he offered a costly gift. Perhaps Cain just knew about God without actually knowing him personally, and he just offered his gift as a formality. We see in the Genesis account that he was snarky with God when God confronted him about his brother's whereabouts and after he murdered him. But Abel's, Abel's story still rings true today that trusting in Christ, God in the flesh, and offering our whole lives to him, no matter the cost, brings the eternal benefit of knowing him, of be, him being pleased with us and wiping clean our record of wrongs. What could be of greater value than this? What other motivation do we need to walk by faith? The second man is Enoch. We don't know that much about him. He was mentioned in the genealogy of Adam down to Noah. And what we know is that he walked with God and God took him. He skipped the death step altogether. What an incredible gift from God from simply walking with him. Enoch was a normal guy with a relationship with the living God. He had faith in God, and it resulted in God being pleased with him and rewarding him with not having to endure death. Sound familiar? Similarly, we know that when we put our faith in Christ and walk with him, he rewards us with eternal life so that we don't have to endure everlasting death because he endured death for us. Just to be clear, just as our faith in Jesus is based on his grace, 
Enoch was not favored by God because of what he did or who he was. He was just another guy. But rather because of God's grace and who he is. God's grace enabled Enoch to walk with him. The Greek translation of the Old Testament actually uses the term pleasing God to mean walking with God. It's amazing that this is the detail of Enoch's life that was preserved, that he walked with God. And in doing so, he pleased God. That's awesome. How encouraging for us that a meaningful life that pleases God is based in relationship with him, in walking with him in our daily lives. Remember the Garden of Eden before sin came into the world. Adam and Eve walked freely with God, and it pleased him to walk with them. That is what we were made for, to walk with God, and by his grace we will. So moving on to verse 6, it explains a little bit of what we just read about Enoch. Enoch had faith and pleased God. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We can't come to, to God without faith in who he is. There has to be a humble trust in who he says he is, that he is a good God who wants to bless and forgive and redeem and restore and be in relationship with us. Otherwise, wouldn't we always stay at arm's length and neglect to walk with him? God is pleased when we believe in who he is, when we trust his goodness, when we walk, when we look on his son Jesus, when we walk with him. The last verse, verse 7, is all about Noah, one of the most famous Old Testament people. We often think of Noah as this kind of fairy tale character. But like I said at the start, all the Old Testament heroes and heroines had their issues, just like us. If you read the account in, of Noah in Genesis, you'll see that he was a real human with real flaws. Yet, it says that in reverent fear, he built an ark, a big boat. This ark was not some small yacht that you would see in Halifax Harbor. It was actually about half the length of the Titanic and almost as wide. And there were only eight people to build it. Anyways, the fear that drove Noah to build the ark is not like the fear we sometimes experience in this life because of our broken lives and the brokenness around us. But it's a fear that acknowledges the greatness and the goodness of a holy God. This fear knows that God has the actual power to destroy the world and yet graciously chooses to preserve humanity through one family. Noah trusted that God is both loving and wrathful, both merciful and just. Noah trusted that God would keep his promises. And so he didn't just sit there, but he acted in obedience based on what God told him to do. His faith moved him to build the ark. This results in him receiving right standing with God, peace with God, his sinful record being wiped clean. His faith was vindicated in the way he and his family were saved. By contrast, the rest of the world did not trust God 
and their actions showed it. They were condemned to die and never again see the light of day. But Noah chose not to live for the pleasures of the world, but rather chose to live in relationship with God, to trust in him who was unseen and, to, and in his future saving grace that was also unseen. In a similar way, Jesus himself is the ark of salvation for the whole world. Those who trust in him and hide in him away from the floods of sin and death find eternal life. These three Old Testament men were all different, their lives all taking vastly different paths. But one theme that comes out of these three stories is that they all had relationship with God. How could these three guys have pleased God or maintain any faith if they didn't have relationship with him? How could they have persevered when things got tough? There's a major difference between knowing God and just knowing about God. People who know God and live, live and act differently than people who don't, and it often shows up in how they react to difficult situations. We also see in these guys' relationship with God that they believed that their wealth, resources, time, and effort were worth giving over to him for the benefit of knowing him and pleasing him. They trusted in his provision, his commendation, and his blessing. They were looking ahead to Jesus, to eternal rewards, not at their present situations or what they had to give up. We'll hear more about this in the coming weeks. Believers from the past 2,000 years have looked back on Jesus' work in faith and trust. Remember that the book of Hebrews was written, was meant to encourage believers that Jesus is better. And of course, those reading it then and ever since have had access to the real risen Jesus. Those in the Old Testament trusted the God they walked with, trusted his promises, and looked ahead to Christ. The author of Hebrews wanted his or her readers to imitate the faith of these past men and women, walking in trust and looking ahead to their heavenly reward in Jesus, the Jesus they knew, even when it was costly and at risk to their own lives. God displayed his love for the world through Jesus declaring with big capital letters, I am for you. I am for you. He declared that death doesn't have the last laugh, that Satan will be defeated, that sin would cease to grip his people, that oppression and injustice would one day come to an end. We've seen throughout Hebrews the greatness and goodness and love of Jesus in all things, that he is the one who the faithful people of the Old Testament were waiting for. Now that we, like the Hebrews, have Jesus, how much more reason do we have to persevere in faith, to walk with Jesus and to please God? How much more reason do we have to be in deep relationship with him now that we have the Holy Spirit? If we are in Christ, we live in the presence of the real thing, Jesus himself. As we know, it's no secret that we live in a world that's broken, 
and we experience this brokenness in our lives every day. Life in this world is hard, as Jesus himself said it would be in the Gospel of John. We are tempted to turn away from Jesus, probably in more ways than we actually realize, and often not by difficulties, but often by the good things of this world sought after for the wrong reasons. So, if we're focused on faith as just a strong mental exercise or emotion, we won't get very far in our Christian walk. Rather, faith is reasoning out the truths about Jesus, walking with him, and living in such a way that we show we have trust in Jesus and his work. Of course, the things that Christians profess to put our trust in are not things we can see, but that doesn't mean it's an unreasonable faith. We believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus based on the gospel accounts, the testimonies of those who witnessed the events that have been passed down, and the archaeological evidence uncovered thus far. Also, the Bible fits together in such a way that we see Jesus, the Son of God and the perfect man, as the hinge on which all of history swings, the cornerstone of creation, the one who executes God's plan of redemption and restoration. True faith shows in the way we persevere in light of these truths that we claim to put our trust in. I'm not sure where you're at today in your walk. Maybe you're tempted to throw in the towel. Maybe you're tempted to walk away. Maybe the light of the gospel seems so very dim or even non-existent. Maybe you look inside yourself or outside at the world and think, how can this be real? How can I press on? First of all, these thoughts and feelings are not new to believers, and it's something you can bring before Jesus because he loves and he cares for you. Also, it's important to go to trusted brothers and sisters in the body of Christ to walk through difficulties with. We are part of a worldwide body when we join the family of God, and that means that we share our lives with each other. There may be someone today who needs your encouragement to press on in the journey, who you can show love to. Who can you show love to today to persevere in faith? Who can you encourage to walk in faithful obedience? The church is not a perfect group of people by any means, but Jesus gave up his life for the church. So it's important to be together encouraging one another. Sometimes one of the most encouraging things for me is when a brother or sister in Christ reminds me of how Jesus was faithful in my life in the past, and that helps me trust him and walk in obedience, even in small ways, in the present or in the future. And often we need people to point, us, point out to us where we can joyfully give more of ourselves over to Christ for his kingdom to be expanded. This includes giving our possessions, our time, our money, our resources, our talents, and even our words and thoughts to him. The heroes and heroines of the Old Testament gave their lives over to the living God and reaped the eternal benefits. And if you're here today and want to start on this journey of walking with God, walking with Jesus, talk to someone about it. 
Let today be the day you give your life to King Jesus and start finding true life in him. How can you give the best of what you have for God's kingdom this week? How can you give your time to a relationship with him this week like Abel did? How can you give your effort and resources to help others know the love of Christ this week? By his Holy Spirit, may we walk in faithful obedience to show the world what God is like. And as we walk together in faith and obedience and let go of our trust in ourselves and place it in him, we'll experience his faithful hands carrying us through life and helping us to be a light in dark, hopeless, oppressive situations around us. He will help us share the love of Jesus with others. At the right time, when we finally meet Jesus, we will reap a harvest of a life lived by faith and will receive the commendation of our Savior. I just want to end with an encouraging verse from Philippians 1 that Reverend John shared a couple Sundays ago and Colin also shared last Sunday. It comes from Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. This life is a journey, and growing in Christ is a lifelong process, and it won't happen overnight, but Jesus always prays for us, and holds us, and continues to hold us until the end, until his work in us is complete. The faith we have is a gift from him, and the strength to act in obedience and be part of his mission comes from him as well. Jesus began the work in us and he will complete it. What a wonderful savior we have. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word and that you are good, you are gracious, you are merciful. Thank you that you are for us, Lord. And thank you that your desire is to walk with us today, this week, for the rest of our lives. Please help us, Lord Jesus, to walk with you. Holy Spirit, please fill us so that we can walk with you and act in obedience and bring life and your goodness and your love to the people around us. Help us to go into the places and to the people that really, really, really need your love, Jesus. Give us strength to do that. Thank you for this morning. Thank you that we can be together. Thank you that we can even meet together this week in different ways and help us to do that, Jesus. In your name, we pray these things. Amen.